0: Hello and welcome to South Asia Chat, a podcast brought to you by the Institute of South Asian Studies at the National University of Singapore. I am your host, Kundavi, a research analyst at the Institute. Balochistan is the largest province of Pakistan and is rich in natural resources and has a long coastal belt. However, economic growth doesn't reflect this reality in its entirety to further analyze economic development within Balochistan and the bigger role it plays in state-oriented projects. I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Hafiz Jamali, social anthropologist and current civil servant. Welcome to South Asian Chat, Dr. Jamali. Thank you. Uh, Let's start off. Balochistan plays a significant part in Pakistan's economy. Recently, the government of Balochistan allocated 34.1 billion rupees, which is approximately 231 million SGD in the outgoing financial year of 2022 for various projects. It will be interesting to discuss these projects and what the bigger picture is for Balochistan's economic development. Starting off with a broader question on federalism and economic development, Pakistan adopted federalism as its primary form of governance in 1948. Over the years, in the context of Balochistan, how does federalism, impact and aid economic development in respective provinces.
1: Um, Thank you very much and once again uh, I wish to thank uh, the South Asia Institute uh, at NUS for inviting me for this productive discussion. As you yourself said that uh, Balochistan is the largest province uh, of Pakistan and uh, it has uh, an outside uh, strategic uh, significance in the overall politics uh, and uh, security of uh, pakistan we uh, the we have two uh, uh, important and uh, long and porous borders one, Afga- one with afghanistan in the north and another one in uh, with iran in the west and on the south much of pakistan's coastline comprises balochistan which is our makran coast which is approximately 700 kilometers of coastline of pakistan belongs to balochistan so, uh, so d- uh, despite its sort of uh, outsized geographical extent and strategic significance, Balochistan is sparsely populated and uh, comprises uh, merely five percent of Pakistan's uh, total population of two hundred plus uh, people, which leads to a, a sort of a, what you call an uneven situation within the Pakistani federation. Uh, because m- much of the uh, our federal structure, uh, both the power sharing mechanisms, as well as the, uh, you know, the resource distribution mechanisms are based on the criteria of population. Although other factors uh, such as, uh, you know, geography, the level of what, for the lack of a better word, underdevelopment or poverty, uh, relative deprivation, and uh, revenue generation potential of a province all they also they all of them play a role in the relative position of a federation federating unit in pakistan but population is the sort of main criteria and in that sense the bigger provinces uh, the more populous provinces such as uh, punjab and sindh you know they uh, tend to sort of uh, 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 dominate uh, the uh, central level politics it's kind of uh, for uh, colleagues from uh, India and elsewhere in South Asia. It's kind of similar to the relationship between the Hindi belt and, you know, other parts of the Indian Federation, if I may. Um, so, um, the but one, one thing which has sort of uh, been more uh, sort of uh, has complicated things more in the case of Pakistan is that whereas India at uh, its independence in 1947-48 was quickly able to adopt Uh, Stable constitutional arrangement, Uh, Pakistan unfortunately could not. So uh, there was a constituent assembly, you know, which was formulated in, um, you know, at independence in 1948, but various factions within Pakistani constituent assembly uh, could not agree to a common constitutional framework, and the matter kept pending till almost 1973. There were two interim constitutions uh, earlier but uh, including the constitution of 1962, but these, uh, those constitutional uh, arrangements did not prove to be durable. So, um, uh, strictly speaking, uh, Pakistan was able to adopt a stable uh, permanent constitutional arrangement, which was acceptable to most of its provinces in 1973 during the government of Sulfkar Ali Bhutto. In that sense, you could say that Pakistani federation as a stable federation is relatively younger than, uh, say, India or some of the other federations such as the US, which are much older. And if you put those two things together, you know, the uh, relative uh, uh, poverty level and deprivation in Balochistan, its small population size, Uh, It's uh, sparse and very large geography, Uh, it's long and porous borders with, uh, you know, neighboring countries, uh, as well as the Persian Gulf through the Indian Ocean and Arabian Sea in the South. Uh, You can uh, well understand why is it that Balochistan has uh, had a tense and, uh, you know, uh, somewhat complex relationship with the Pakistani Federation compared to some of the other uh, provinces in Pakistan.
0: I think that was really very succinct and also very crucial overview of Balochistan and its relationship uh, in Pakistan with Pakistan. And uh, now... More on so as you've mentioned before, its strategic role. If we discuss more about the projects happening uh, within Balochistan and the role that it plays, uh, CPEC is the central of debates surrounding Pakistan's economic growth and trajectory. Uh, in this context, what position does Balochistan hold in the CPEC project? So, what do you think uh, Balochistan fits in this picture?
1: Um, Balochistan plays an uh, important role, uh, you know, in the architecture of CPEC um, because uh, the crucial link, uh, one of the crucial links of CPEC, uh, that is the Gawadar port, is located in uh, Balochistan, uh, in the southwest of the province, uh, near the border with Iran. So it is in a way the terminus of uh, the CPEC uh, southern terminus of the CPEC corridor more uh, importantly uh, all the CPEC as you know uh, is a um, is one of the links in the larger uh, belt and road initiative the BRI um, and it's a flagship component of the BRI and uh, uh, an important sort of um, extension and pillar of the long and friendly relationship Uh, the deep and uh, friendly relationship between Pakistan and China. Uh, All now in CPEC, um, for the benefit of your readers, um, uh, in CPEC, there are three uh, important uh, connectivity passages. There is, or which we call them corridors. So we have the um, Eastern corridor that uh, uh, runs through um, Central Punjab, and uh, you know starts all of the corridors start from the north in Gilgit, baltistan and you know at Kawadar but in between here you know, they diverge. So the eastern corridors uh, travels through uh, Punjab and Sindh and then sort of terminates uh, at Kawadar. The uh, central corridor you know again uh, travels through um, KP, uh, the Khyber Pakhtunkhwa province, um, Punjab uh, and Balochistan and then uh, we have the Western Corridor, CPEC Western Corridor, which uh, exclusively, you know, travels through um, KP and Balochistan. So, all of these three corridors, you know, uh, which are the sort of the mainstay or uh, pillars uh, of CPEC and at uh, uh, Gawadar and in Balochistan so uh, due to uh, these reasons Balochistan and especially the Gawadar port have uh, an outsized role in the overall architecture of uh, CPEC uh, beyond this I also want to broaden this uh, because as a anthropologist of infrastructure I would say that you know some of these initiatives um, you know these corridors uh, these uh, um, efforts to what uh, David Harvey has uh, called, you know, uh, compression of space-time or space-time compression, uh, are not uh, new. In the 1960s, for instance, we had uh, the um, RCD, the Regional Cooperation Development Organization, uh, and a road link was established, which connected Pakistan, Iran, and Turkey. You know, so this was the Cold War era, and these three countries were allies. And uh, they wanted to, you know, develop their trade. But uh, that corridor also, although it provided connectivity for the people, but it wasn't, you know, uh, it didn't really kick off in the same way as was imagined. So, in in and before that, during colonial rule too, we know that uh, the British Empire, you know, during the 19th century sought to connect India, uh, you know, uh, through a... Uh, Uh, maze or through a um, sort of uh, network of roads, railroad lines, and telegraph lines, you know, Uh, thinking that, you know, uh, it can connect and hold India together through those sort of arrangements. But this uh, uh, outsize or this uh, overemphasis by uh, empires and nation-states on uh, the power of infrastructure uh, to hold people together, um, if you look at it in a historic context, it appears to be a misplaced faith. It appears to be a misplaced emphasis because what ends up happening is that um, the very people it is supposed to hold together and join together through, through, through those corridors, they tend to sort of Uh, their ways of life, um, their uh, senses of belonging and identity, they tend to be disturbed, you know, by these projects, these large-scale infrastructure projects. And uh, in the end, uh, what uh, ends up happening is that these uh, large-scale infrastructure projects, if they are not managed properly, if uh, you know, people are not taken on board or and into uh, confidence over the uh, future of their own lives and their communities, they end up becoming conduits or uh, vehicles, you know, uh, for dissent, for resistance, and for subverting the, the very same projects or goals that were supposed to be achieved by uh, undertaking these projects. So, uh, uh, so we must historicize, you know, uh, the making of infrastructure and the kind of role uh, it plays. And I want to give, you know, very common sense example, you know, you must be familiar, uh, you know, th- those of you who, you know, come from uh, or have visited uh, um, India and Bangladesh and other countries as well. That one of the most common things our people do when they are unhappy with the government is they block the roads. It's as simple as that. So what ends up happening is that the very piece of infrastructure that was supposed to ensure connectivity at the national level now suddenly becomes an obstacle. So what what I want to say is that we must not uh, lose sight of the fact that any kind of uh, development, the uh, colonial era infrastructures, the uh, projects undertaken by the nation state or In this, the projects that are being undertaken in our contemporary moment of globalization, right? Have to take, uh, have to respect the wishes of local people, have to take them into confidence, and have to, we must bring them on board if they are to achieve the objectives that their architects wish to achieve.
0: Thank you so much. That was a very insightful. A discussion on the Gwadar port, but more specifically about the people involved in it and the project that the state has undertaken and how uh, it is perceived by people. And I think there are two factors that I want to combine into the next question, which is you've covered that there are differences in perceptions of projects that are being undertaken. So maybe more specifically, are there any differences in the locals' visions of development vis-a-vis the Pakistan's uh, state for the region, for Balochistan? And how can it get be bridged? And another question is also, I think in this discussion of economic development and undertaking of projects, another very key factor uh, that has dominated Forums and debates now is COVID 19. So, maybe how do you see the impact of COVID 19 also playing out uh, in Balochistan?
1: Thank you very much. I think, um, so as I said, you know, these projects, the way uh, uh, they unfold, uh, you know, is uh, a lot, many times it is um, different from the way the architects, uh, you know, at the policy level may have envisaged them, you know. So there's a very uh, beautiful uh, metaphor which uh, anthropologist Anna Zing has used for uh, such projects, and it is the metaphor of friction. So she says that you know even the best machinery, such as an aeroplane or a car or anything, when it is uh, made, designed or made, uh, it may good, look good on paper, but you really don't know how it will behave until the rubber hits the road, you know? And when the rubber hits the road, you know, the local factors of various kinds, you know, they would play their role in, uh, you know, how these uh, projects are conceived. And this fact is also known to the policy makers. So we must not see uh, projects as, uh, you know, sort of static uh, entities, Uh, As they might appear on their planning documents, you know. So, in terms of their life cycle, also uh, the planners also learn, you know. And something similar uh, has happened in the case of uh, uh, CPAC and, in particular, the Gawadar port project. So, when it was initially conceived, uh, there was a lot of optimism, and, uh, you know, uh, and much of it was one sided, you know. Uh, especially from uh, the policy community and, you know, um, the policy makers and political leadership. Uh, There was, uh, and also, uh, let's not forget even the people of Gawadar, you know, there was this uh, sort of, for the lack of a better word, naivete, um, that, you know, suddenly, you know, by putting some infrastructure projects in place, uh, Gawadar would become, you know, sort of the uh, uh, an, 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 a large uh, port city uh, comparable to similar uh, port cities like uh, G- Singapore, where you're sitting, or uh, the port uh, city of Dubai and other such uh, port cities. And uh, in fact, one of the earliest, uh, you know, sort of the pioneering uh, contracts for the uh, building and uh, maintenance of uh, running of operation of kovader port was awarded to a subsidiary of uh, port authority of singapore you know uh, psa kovader you know so so that that was sort of uh, you know the uh, what we call the you know the uh, optimism phase you know um, but over time what uh, happened was that um, Local people they voiced their uh, you know grievances. You know what ended up happening was a classic case of uh, uh, what you call policy blindness. You know, which which was that uh, while the infrastructure of the, uh, the the port itself and its uh, allied facilities uh, such as the uh, Makran Coastal Highway. Um, uh, and a, an expressway which connects the Makran Coastal Highway with uh, the port directly, and um, you know, uh, similar other projects were undertaken on a rapid pace. The uh, basic bread and butter, uh, you know, requirements of the local populations were uh, not met in the with the same speed let's say you know the basic requirements of uh, the uh, local people which included things like clean drinking water uh, regular electricity um, and uh, uh, a proper drainage and uh, severage system you know an efficient drainage and severage system you know uh, those and a what for the lack of a better word reasonable guarantee of job security and livelihood for them you know so successive governments promised those you know uh, amenities those facilities and also they delivered them somewhat you know but uh, those were not given the priority in the same way as the large-scale infrastructure projects were given you know and as a result a gap was uh, was created you know due to which uh, there were different kinds of uh, political mobilizations, you know, at the local level. Um, some of those were peaceful and others took the form of armed resistance uh, against the state. And uh, now over time, what happened was that the state authorities realized that they have perhaps gone astray, you know, or in terms of the, they have lost You know the direction in terms of the prioritizing uh, different aspects of this endeavor, and uh, and in the past five to ten years, more concerted efforts have been made to rectify those. For instance, in the case of Kawadar, the original master plan. Uh, that was built by uh, that was uh, designed by um, NESPAC, a local uh, you know engineering and uh, planning services firm um, envisaged uh, sh- shifting the local population uh, part of the local population uh, which was living in the immediate um, uh, vicinity of the port area to uh, a location out on the periphery of the city now this was not uh, acceptable to the local people and obviously there was a lot of anxiety among them uh, around this issue Um, another thing was that another planning error was that um, because it was the planning document envisaged that the old town has to be moved away from its current location you know the uh, the area of old town gavadar which is near the port um no investment was made or very little investment was made in uh, civic amenities uh, in uh, rather all the internal roads civic amenities etc were built around the new town you know where they were supposed to be moved um, this o- arrangement obviously didn't you know work out and uh, local people were not happy with that so in the last five to ten years the government has tried to make amends for that and uh, uh, according to the new master plan which is called Gawadar uh, smart port city master plan and which was approved uh, recently in uh, uh, 2019 um, the old town uh, will not be disturbed and instead uh, the planning uh, document, the master plan, the new master plan envisages the old town as an area to showcase local culture and traditions. The government has started uh, an ambitious uh, 3.5 billion rupees uh, project for the uh, rehabilitation of uh, old town Gawadar by providing uh, civic amenities there uh, paving of streets, uh, electricity, and other uh, uh, drainage and sewerage uh, facilities, and uh, a component of the uh, rehabilitation of old town includes the conservation of uh, the heritage of Gawadar, um, and approximately two hundred million have been set aside for that. You know, so um, uh, in a sense, the mm, uh, policymakers. Have uh, uh, realized the error in terms of the planning process uh, and have tried to rectify, you know, those states by investing, you know, in the basic uh, needs of local people. But we have to see whether uh, how long that would go to uh, allay the concerns of local people.
0: Thank you so much. I think there was it was really interesting um to kind of go back to a policy making level and uh, review what has happened and what has been done and what is continued to be done uh regarding the Goradar port and um uh, perceptions from the locals what they're trying to improve i think to sort of round off the podcast um my question would be in terms of this policy making what would you say could be a few key lessons that would encourage the sustainability of a long-term improvement and also at the same time, take into consideration local perceptions or concerns about uh, the projects that they will be doing. Like you said, the projects cannot be viewed in a very static sort of way, but more so on a longer scale and uh, continued happening. So how would you encourage that kind of policy making? I guess would be my question, yes.
1: Uh, I think we have to keep in mind, uh, you know, the um, um, both, you know, the history of people and places, and especially I'm speaking in the South Asian context, because our context is different from, you know, uh, you know, say the context of European countries or even the East Asian countries. What has happened is, and you would, uh, some some of you and some of the audience would be able to relate it to, to it from the Indian context as well. So what has been happening is that there is a perception in both in many countries in South Asia, including Pakistan and India, uh, that they have been sort of uh, behind the eight ball in terms of you know, development, uh, industrialization. And in doing so, they try to uh, replicate the more successive models, be it in Dubai or Singapore or in European countries uh, or North America. And they tend to do this uh, without sort of uh, taking into account uh, the particular local context. Uh, and local context even within uh, you know these countries uh, differ. So uh, local context of Lahore is different from the local context of say Quetta or Peshawar. You know uh, the local context of Delhi. Is uh, maybe different from the local context of uh, Chennai or say Assam. The local context of say uh, Colombo would be different from you know uh, the local context of uh, you know the Tamil majority uh, districts. You know, so uh, what ends up happening is that policymakers uh, tend to forget this, these important differences, and they tend to adopt a what you call one size fits all, and also in terms of learning from the past, because as I mentioned you, if you look at how these experiments of similar kind were t- undertaken in the past, right? These, obviously, they were mistakes that were made and people were, uh, local people were ignored on many occasions. But every new planner or architect or policy leader tends to think that this would be, this work differently this time without sort of, you know, correcting some of those mistakes. So the I think the bottom line is, that we have to place less faith in infrastructure. Infrastructure is important, no doubt about it. We have to upgrade infrastructure and, you know, uh, provide, you know, what we think are uh, world-class facilities and communication to our people. But at the same time, we have to make sure that the kind of uh, development projects that we undertake are pro-people, that uh, local people are taken on board, and that the projects and policies that we uh, implement, that the government implements, uh, respect the local culture and traditions of the people who are supposed to be the recipients of development or beneficiaries of uh, those development projects. And these things have to be done uh, through substantive uh, policy mechanisms Merely uh, declaring this these things, you know, that we have taken people on board or uh, merely sort of engaging in political rhetoric, you know, is, is, is not sufficient. Those people have to be given voice at the various platforms, you know, be it at the local government level, uh, you know, at the city government or district government level. Be be that at the provincial or at the federal level. Because it is only through the substantive input of the local people and their elected leadership that the planners can correct their course and avoid the kind of mistakes that lead to uh, resentment among the people.
0: Thank you so much, Dr. Jamali, for the very insightful discussion. It was very interesting and I definitely learned a lot. Thank you so much for joining us today. You were listening to South Asia Chat. In the first week of August, ICES will be holding its annual conference virtually. You can get updates on our website, ices.nus.edu.sg, or from social media. We are on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. Thank you.